Good morning. It's good to be with you this morning. It's been a few weeks since um, I've actually been around in church. Um, some of you may be aware that we've been going through some um, issues with our family, um, with health, with both myself and my son, but things are beginning to go the right direction now. But thank you for those who have been praying. There's been people who've been very practical in coming around just to be with us, bringing flowers, food, all sorts of stuff, um, and helping out with the inn as well. So that's been really grateful. So thank you so much for standing with us in that. And it just reminds me of how much we're a family, you know, how much when things are going on that folks get together and they support one another. And it's just lovely to be part of that. So we're currently in this series of prayers from the Bible, and we're looking at how they can be relevant to us today. And a few months ago, Dave asked me if I would speak on this series, and I said, yeah, sure, that's fine. And this prayer of Jesus came to mind, and it was, and, and it was in my thoughts, and I was thinking, maybe this is the way I should be going. But over time, I have to say, that idea has been a difficult one. And as much as I felt God was asking me to do it, it has been a challenge, not so much in the writing, but in what God has been bringing and showing me about myself and about how he wants me to be in relationship with him. So what I'm speaking on this morning, I am still in it. I'm not here saying I've come out the other side. I'm here saying God is doing stuff in me through this. And I'm just praying that something of what he's showing me may touch you and speak to you this morning. So this prayer of Jesus is actually quite a short prayer, but it holds a huge amount in it. And the event is recorded in three of the Gospels, but I want to focus on Mark's Gospel this morning. So I'm going to read it out. It will come up on the screen. But uh, can I suggest you just close your eyes and you imagine yourself as an observer. They went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little further, he fell to the ground and he prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything <coughs> is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Once more, he went away and prayed the same thing. And when he came back, he found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy they didn't know what to say to him. Returning the third time, he said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Enough, the hour has come. Now, if we look to all three passages from Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we would see that it's recorded three times that Jesus repeats the same prayer to the Father. Though the inference is that he spent longer with him. But this prayer is recorded and it says, Abba, Father, Everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And I want to look at three main areas that have stood out from this passage this morning. There's so much in it, but I just want to focus on three things. First is Jesus' relationship with the Father, his relationship with the disciples, and his relationship with suffering. So let's look at the first one, Jesus' relationship with the Father. 
So we know that Jesus lived on earth in human form for 33 years, and the last three he spent in ministry. Scripture says that he took time away to be with his father in prayer, and he only did what the father asked of him. He had a really close relationship, even on earth, with the father. And through this time, we see Jesus teaching. He was preaching the gospel, healing the sick, training up disciples, Yet all the while, Jesus knew what was ahead. He knew the cross was looming, the ultimate sacrifice for our sins so we could be forgiven. But forgiveness wasn't the goal. The goal wasn't forgiveness. It was the goal was for forgiveness to open up the way for us to be back in relationship with Father God. The goal was always relationship. Jesus knew he would suffer greatly, the physical pain, the mental abuse and the emotional torment of separation from his father. So when Jesus went to the garden, he knew exactly what was ahead of him. And in that moment when he prays to his father, we catch a glimpse of the intimate and deeply personal relationship that they had. He says, Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. We probably know this term Abba means daddy and it reveals something of the closeness and affection between father and son. You know, Jesus' heart wasn't angry or bitter or hardened about what was ahead. He remained soft and trusting towards God and God's plan. But yet Jesus was able to express his sorrow and distress and be extremely honest and real with his father. In this moment, when the main purpose for his birth, his life, his ministry comes to a head, Jesus cries out to God, is there another way? I know everything is possible for you, so please let there be another way. The cross was the crux of his whole mission on earth, but at that moment, Jesus didn't want to go through with it. It wasn't that he changed his mind about being in relationship with us and that relationship being restored. But he knew what the cross would cost. And he was asking God, is there a different road? He was overwhelmed with sorrow. We see his anguish and his dread, the pain of being separated from his father. And in that moment, with literally the weight of the world on his shoulders, we see Jesus' humanity and his vulnerability as he asks for the cup to be taken. How often do we feel we need to appear strong in situations, yet we feel weak? How often do we face trials and hardships and suffering and try to find or pray for an easier way out? Now, that's not wrong. In fact, it's completely right. It's what we need to be able to do to express how we're feeling to God and be real and vulnerable with him and expect another way out. Jesus was asking for another way out. We can do that. We can expect healing and miracles. That's what we saw Jesus do. But even as Jesus cried out to his father, and we know God heard him, God didn't change it. The father didn't change the plan that was ahead. Instead, in Luke's gospel, it describes how an angel comes to Jesus to strengthen him. You know, whatever circumstances we may face, we can always cry out to God, knowing that he will hear us. But if our situation doesn't change, the truth is, is that he will offer us 
the strength we need to endure and to get through. He is with us in it. So let's look at the second area now, Jesus' relationship with his disciples. As we've already mentioned, Jesus took time out to be away with his father. And scripture mentions that he often takes time to rise early and go alone to solitary places to pray. But in this situation, we see something a little bit different. Jesus says to the main group of disciples, sit here while I pray. And then he takes Peter, James and John with him. And he begins to be deeply distressed and troubled. And he expresses this with his disciples. He says to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch. He then moves a stone's throw away. So he's still in sight and probably in hearing of the disciples. He doesn't try to hide his feelings or emotions. No one else knew what he was going through. Yet he still wants his close friends to be with him, to keep watch with him, to pray with him, to stay close to him, to support him. If Jesus needed that, don't we? You know, God has made us to be in relationship with him, but also with each other. We need good friends, those good friends that rejoice with us through the good times, but will stand with us through times of heartbreak and sadness. We need to share our feelings and emotions and ask for support, companionship and prayer on the journey. I'm kind of smiling at this because I do find this really difficult. <laughs> and it's not an always an easy thing to do is to be really honest and vulnerable with one another. But Jesus showed us that's how he wants us to be in relationship, not with everybody, but with those close friends. You know, there's something about going through hardships together that binds us in ways that other things can't. There was an experiment done that had a group of people put their feet into freezing cold water to see how long they could stand it. And they then did it again, but allowed them to bring in a loved one or a friend to be with them in the room. And they were actually able to endure twice as long by having a loved one present. You know, isn't it interesting that God has made us to, to need one another, to need the support of one another to get through. He's made us to be interdependent. You know, those friends that accept us, that know us, that stand with us, that pray with us, are integral to our lives. But we also have the joy of knowing as Christians, unlike Jesus, who was separated from the Father in his greatest hour of suffering, we are never separated from God as our Father. He is always with us. In fact, Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us. There's a quote from Robert Murray McShane, sorry, it's a bit small. Um, he was a Church of Scotland minister and also a missionary. And he said this, if I could hear Christ praying for me in the next room, I would not fear a million enemies. Yet distance makes no difference. He is praying for me. Makes you think, doesn't it? Okay, this third area about Jesus' relationship with suffering. Now, I know this is not an area we like to talk about. I don't like talking about it particularly, but, but it is something that we all go through at different times of our lives. There's seasons and there's times when we do go through hardship and suffering. And I am aware there's quite a lot of us within our church family who are going through really difficult times. So I don't, I don't speak this lightly this morning. But in the Gospels, we see that Jesus so often eliminated suffering. He healed all kinds of sicknesses. He raised the dead. He consoled the afflicted. He comforted the brokenhearted. He forgave sinners. He liberated the, those that were in the power of the evil one. 
And he welcomed the oppressed and the, and, and the rejected. He was there for those who were suffering. Yet suffering was also the path that he had to take. So what do we do when we pray for our suffering to be removed and it isn't? Where does that leave us? The truth is, is that when we face trials, and we will, because it is part of this fallen life that we live in, we can pray, as we've said, for them to be taken away. But scripture doesn't say that they always will. In Isaiah 43, it says, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. When we go through things, he will be with us. He is with us. And I find it interesting that in scripture, we're called to run from temptation, to flee from temptation, but we're not told to run from suffering. It's interesting that Jesus accepted that suffering was part of this journey. And actually, it's part of our journey too. Yes, we should pray for healing. Yes, we should expect it. But if it doesn't happen, we don't then keep going on. We need to get to the point when we can ask God, God, what are you doing? What is the bigger picture? What do you want me to get hold of in this? There's a scripture, Romans 8, which is one of my favorite. And it says, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. It's, I find it astonishing that God can use all situations, all of them, for our good. Isn't that incredible? It's not just about us getting out of it or getting through it, but it's what he will do in the processing. Because every hardship has the potential to grow our relationship deeper with God, our eternal hope. It doesn't mean that he brings the suffering. It just means that in it, he can use it. Nikki Gumbel quotes Adrian Rogers and says, a faith that has not been tested cannot be trusted. And then he goes on to say this, sooner or later, all of us go through times of testing. In these hard times, the challenge is to stay faithful to God, not to harden our hearts, but to keep them soft towards God, to keep on trusting in spite of all the difficulties and challenges to our faith. Every time we feel like doing the wrong thing, but choose the right we grow in spiritual maturity, wisdom, character, and faithfulness. In 1 Peter, it says, In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven, genuous, so, sorry, that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. These verses don't mean that we just keep putting on a brave face and just keep smiling through it all. It means that in it, Jesus is worth rejoicing in. Even when he feels distant or we can't see him, even when we're going through those difficult times. The truth is that holding to him, despite our circumstances, refines our faith. Now, if I'm really honest, I don't like these verses. I want to grow in my faith, but I don't want the pathway to be through suffering and trial. 
And it isn't always, please hear me, there are different seasons in our faith. But sometimes this is the journey that we need to take. You know, I've been challenged quite a lot over recent months to recognize that our life and our circumstances are fleeting. Yet we can be drawn and consumed into them so much that we, that becomes our primary focus and we forget about the eternal picture. In, in March last year, um, I had a picture which I want to share with you this morning because it's one that has stuck with me, but I feel it might be relevant for some of you this morning. And I had a picture of myself standing. And then round me was my circumstances, the good, the bad, the stuff that was going on. And then like an umbrella over it was that sense of God with his love and his peace and his hope and his joy. And I thought, yeah, that's lovely, God, that you surround it all, you're protecting it all. He said, no, that's not what I want. That's where you are. That's not what I want for you. And I was a bit confused. And then he showed me something else. He showed me me standing. And then round me was him was his love, his joy, his peace, and his hope. And then beyond that was my circumstances. And he says, I want you to get to the place that you are so rooted into me that your circumstances are superfluous. They're, they're, they're the bit on the outside that what is most important is me so that when you go through those hard times, you still remain in that place of peace and of love and of hope and of joy because of who I am, that I come first and then everything else is after that. Can I say I am still in it? I am still battling with that. I have days when I'm like, yes, God. And other days when I'm like, no, God. You know, that's, that's the way it goes. We oscillate. We will in our life. It's like that all the time. But my heart is to get more into that place. Scott Erickson says this. Everything can be taken away except the hidden part of me. Whether I lose my savings, my house, my title, or my very livelihood, what is untakeable is the part of me that Jesus eliminates, the deeper self that was woven into this world but is anchored in a much larger world. In the gift of my life is a doorway to a much larger reality. And Jesus is the light that shows me the way. You know, something in my heart rises to this. And though the, the road can be painful, I have glimpses of it. And finding God in the midst of life. Um, someone I know had a picture um, of a swimming pool. And she felt it was for her, but it was for much wider than that. So the, the picture was of this pool, of the swimming pool. And often in a swimming pool, in the shallow end, there's a lot of noise. You know, there's kids, there's a lot of playing, there's a lot of stuff going on. And she felt that often that, that, that we live in, the, in, in that shallow place with God. And it's a place of transaction. It's a place where we say, I want this. And God, can you give me this? And we're shouting and making a noise and saying, God, don't you understand what this is like for me? God, I want this to change. God, why is this going on? But yet what God wants us to do, he wants to pull us into that deep place, into that quiet place, into that place where we are held and surrounded by him. And again, it's that oscillation between, yes, I can be there, but then sometimes I go back to going, even in the one sentence, I'm like, yeah, God, but could you just sort this out, God? I'd really like this to change and then I'll be better. But God, I love you. And there's this thing that goes on in us, but God more and more is pulling us as his people in the world that we're in to pull into that deeper place where we can be held and surrounded by him and know his peace, know his love, know his hope, know his joy in our lives. 
It can be a hard place to come to that says, yet not my will, but yours be done. That prayer that Jesus prayed. And I'm not there. I want to be there, but I'm not there yet. You know, it doesn't mean that everything God asks us to do will be hard. It's just this is my focus this morning. It doesn't mean this is always the way it is. Because he wants us to live that joy-filled life. And I don't believe it's God's heart that we suffer. It's not his plan, but it's part of this world that we're in. But there's a bigger, more eternal picture going on that we need to get hold of sometimes, folks, that we need to lift our eyes and see. We need to know that God says that he's with us. He, you know, he asks us to take his hand, to trust him, to love him and to be with him as he loves us and, and, and as he is with us. So... What have we learned? Well, we've learned that Jesus, even at his most trying time, shows us a way to follow, of keeping our hearts soft and keep trusting God. Can I just say that with trusting, it's probably another whole message in itself, but when we trust God, that comes, that's not something that can just happen. We trust people that we know. You've got to get to know God to trust him. So can I encourage you, if you struggle with trusting God, Spend some time getting to know him more. So we want to keep our hearts soft and keep trusting God. To keep being open and vulnerable in our relationships with those he's put alongside us. And to remember that he is always, always with us through everything. He's our eternal hope and our eternal strength. And what we have coming is so much more than this present life. There's a quote I found that says, anxieties can be replaced by peace when our faith rests not on whether our circumstances change, but on the one who never changes. And I just want to end with a quote from Romans that says, the spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we're heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us.